Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome to our show. The smell of voodoo is in the air. Or it could just be the three bean salad I had for lunch. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and this is Linux in the Ham Shack. I'd like to welcome all of you back, all the folks on the live stream uh, who aren't checking into the chat room, um, all the people in the chat room, um, Cheryl, Bill, Ted, the usual group, and maybe even that other guy, the one up in Arkansas. What was your name again, kid? I don't have a name. I'm the masked postcatter. <laughs> masked podcatter. He's oh, the right. mad, po- yeah. mad postcatter. All right, you've caught me out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if that makes a cut. <laughs> yeah, it probably will. What the hell? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know my name. We, don't we are the show that. that proves that uh, amateur radio operators, podcasters, and and Linux people all have no sense at all, and we're three times as bad because we're all of them. So let's try it again, Mad Poscatter. <laughs> no, I kind of like that. I think I'm going to stick with it. I see. <laughs> all right, this is Russ K5TUX coming to you live from between the peaks up here in the fine forest of North Central Arkansas. And uh, I'm talking with Richard down there on the bayou, the uh, Trinity River Bayou in northeast Texas. And we have someone else on the line. we got a very special guest tonight. We are talking with John Hayes, and that's a Kilo 7 Victor Echo from Northwest Digital Radio. And uh, he's going to talk to us about some really cool innovation they've got going on there um that i found out about first at the hamvention uh, a few months ago so good evening john how are you doing well i'm doing pretty good we have a beautiful seattle sunny day up here in the pacific northwest and uh, glad to join you it was glad to meet you at dayton yes yeah, so very very good to meet you because if nothing else it means that richard and i have to talk far less on this episode than we normally do Sunshine in Seattle, that seems kind of like an oxymoron, is it not? Well, you know, our Chamber of Commerce uh, is sure to make sure all the weather forecasters say it's uh, always rainy, dreary, and cloudy here so that we uh, don't get too many uh, people moving into the area. I see. Well, I I hear that Seattle's actually kind of a pretty cool city. I haven't had the chance to get up there much, but uh, or at all. I don't know why I say much. But I believe I've got a conference coming up here next year that's going to take place in Seattle. So that may be my first uh, chance to get up there and see Seattle for the first time. So what goes on up there other than 
you know, amateur radio and uh, Northwest Digital Radio. What What's good to do up there? Any good food, good eats, good places to go, kayaking, mountain climbing, that kind of thing? Oh, there's there's all kinds of things to do, and uh, it really is a beautiful area. And it really is cloudy and rainy. Uh, well, only once a year. It starts in September and ends in June. Um, but, um, uh, no, it's, it's a beautiful area, plenty of, uh, opportunity to get out in nature here. I actually don't live in the city. I'm about, uh, 17 miles north, uh, in the next county. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, people know where Seattle is and, uh, yeah, there's, uh, um, some people say that uh, Seattle has the second best uh, cuisine on the West Coast, um, and uh, the first being uh, San Francisco. Uh, and we think that the reason is is because people dine out a lot here, and so the competition is keen, and there's a lot of good food. But uh, we have uh, a bunch of uh, extinct and not so extinct volcanoes uh, along our est- uh, our eastern edge here uh, which makes some great uh, climbing opportunities for folks that like that we have uh, rivers for uh, whitewater rafting we have uh, beautiful uh, fishing uh, both saltwater and freshwater um uh, camping um all of those kinds of things out. And of course they, they all take second place to amateur radio unless we, uh, uh, combine the two, like, uh, doing the lighthouses, uh, uh, on the lights event and that kind of thing. All right. Excellent. Sounds like a great place and I can't wait to visit. The only thing, um, that I think our listeners really want to know though is any of that spirit and those fine opportunities for, you know, outdoor dining and adventure uh, ruined it all by the stench coming out of Redmond. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we kind of drive around that place and, you know, that's just the case. But, uh, um, I, I, I'm actually ambidextrous. I, uh, uh, I prefer Linux. I have it on a number of, uh, boxes here in the shack and in the house. Um, my phone system is asterisk. I have a couple Raspberry Pis sitting here. Um, I do some dual boots. I have a a, a MacBook that runs uh, Xbuntu. Uh, I've been in Linux since uh, Slackware zero point nine X somewhere, um, and before that, I uh, worked on System Five and BSD and uh, Multex to sh- give you an idea how old I am. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try not to place that in any real date, you know, time frame, uh, so we don't ruin anything. I've seen your picture, and I've got a rough guess at how old you are, but I'm not going to reveal anything here. What we're really interested in talking to you to- tonight about is Northwest Digital Radio, and that's a company, um, I presume, somewhere out in Washington. Um, but you're going to tell us for sure one way or the other. Give us a little bit of your background, uh, what, what your, uh, like technical expertise is, how you got into amateur radio and all of that kind of good thing. You can wrap it up in a nice little bow. A minute or two is probably all we need on that. And then, uh, let us know how you got, uh, hooked up with Northwest Digital Radio. Okay. Well, I took an interest in amateur radio when I was, uh, 
uh, in elementary school, but I didn't actually get licensed until I uh, uh, graduated from high school. And next year will be 40 years with about... Uh, uh, about 18 months that, uh, uh, my license lapsed and lapsed and I was in a situation where I couldn't, uh, uh, get relicensed. Um, it, back then, uh, it was up or out from the novice class. I have a family of hams. All of my family is licensed, including all of my sons, my wife, my daughter-in-law. I've been involved with digital amateur radio since the VADC uh, packet and uh, went on to X25 and so on. Uh, so that's kind of my background in ham radio. I've been involved in many, many aspects and uh, and uh, really enjoy it. And uh, but I'm I'm mostly interested in the digital aspects, which brings us to uh, Northwest Digital Radio. I uh, I'm frequently invited to speak at various conferences and gatherings. And about um, two years ago now, that sounds about right, um, the uh, Tapper organization had a uh, conference, their annual digital communications conference in Vancouver, Washington. And I went down and I gave a presentation on D-Star and some of the homebrew things that were just getting started then and, and so on. And, and at the end of my talk, I had a, a list of things that, that I'd really like to see. And one was a reasonably priced radio uh, for digital communications. Uh, and you plug an Ethernet cable into one end and an antenna connection and power into the other end. Keep the price down. Don't put a head on it, anything like that for doing digital modes. And when I was done, I was approached by uh, Brian Hoyer, um, now uh, K7UDR. Uh, the radio name came before the call sign. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Brian said, um, yeah, I'd kind of like to build that radio. And we sat down and chatted a little bit and uh, each went to our homes. Uh, Brian, uh, lives up in the San Juan Islands. Uh, he's actually, uh, closer to, uh, Victoria, BC than to, um, mainland US, I believe. Um, but anyway, the company is based, uh, uh, up in the San Juan Islands. Uh, I live somewhat closer to Seattle. And, uh, Brian and I got together. He and his partner in crime, uh, Basil Gunn, N7NIX, uh, had been very involved up in the islands with Aries and, uh, had been doing AX25 and RMS Gateway and a bunch of stuff and noticed how, how ancient the technology was and how it made up for it by being slow. <clears throat> so, over the course of several months, um, we did some some combining of our two worlds and decided with the advent of uh, low-cost uh, computing uh, based on uh, the system on a chip technology and what was coming out in microelectronics for doing radio, uh, we could put together a pretty nice package uh, with... Uh, uh, both a computer server, uh, to run applications and 
a 25 watt UHF radio in a nice little package um, to do a variety of uh, uh, digitally oriented uh, protocols. And uh, over the last uh, oh year and a half or so, we've been working on that, and that is the genesis of Northwest Digital Radio. Well, that's a nice little wrap up. So, was this year at Dayton the the you know the reveal, I guess, of uh, the UDR platform? Is that when it it came to fruition for you guys? Yes, that was the big reveal. Um, we knew we were several months out from delivery, but. When you've got 22,000 geeks in two blocks, I didn't say geeks, did I? Uh, 22,000 uh, to 30,000 geeks in one location. We thought it was a pretty good opportunity to reveal what we were working on. Um, and I've got to tell you, uh, in our little booth uh, that was a bit off the beaten path, uh, I talked myself hoarse over three days. <laughs> there was a lot of interest. Well, that's good. That's exactly what going to Dayton's all about is generating that interest, getting people over to your booth. And I saw, I think, on your website, there was uh, some mention of a lot of folks wondering how they could go ahead and like pre-order these devices, even though uh, I guess they're sort of still in beta. They're still, they still don't really exist uh, as a hardware platform, but uh, they all wanted to buy in. That's correct. Uh, we had a lot of people. We still have people call us up and say, well, can I give you my credit card number so I'm on the friend of the list? And um, we, as uh, as a group, uh, believe in uh, uh, being really uh, upfront with our customers and or potential customers in this case. And we've seen too many cases where uh, people have got into something like this and taken money and then haven't delivered when they said they would and so on. So we'll be opening up uh, pre-orders um uh, uh, a few weeks before uh, initial shipments come in and we'll advertise that widely and and then we'll get to see if we can melt a server or something like that. Excellent. So are there any dates you can let us know about or is this still kind of in a nebulous phase where you don't really know when you're going to announce and when you're going to do pre-sales and all that? Our Our statement at Dayton was Q4 of this year. Um, we, um, uh, have been working on engineering and, uh, we're still hopeful to, uh, take pre-orders, uh, towards the end of the fourth quarter with, uh, delivery some short Delta beyond that. That gives, uh, you know, a rough idea of how long we're going to have to wait. So you're thinking there, people could be taking delivery sometime in Q1, uh, 2013. Yes. All right. Well, excellent. Now I'm going to hold Richard's feet to the fire because he made a claim that he wanted to get to the bottom of some double speak that he thinks you've been saying. And I know he's sitting over there going, Oh, wait, I'm, I'm not up now. Yes, you are. No, You're on. He didn't say it. No, you said it. No, he didn't say it. Oh, well, so I was watching that video. Oh, well, apparently it's in the video. So you go ahead and ask your question because, uh, I'm asking the, uh, the softball stuff. You go ahead and hit, hit him with a high hard one. Well, no, I was just going to ask a few questions. I mean, uh, in the ham radio now video from out at Dayton, the guy's talking about, uh, uh, data rates and all the packet controllers I've ever had would do at, at least 9,600 and most of them one, one, what is 19,200 over the air rate. The limitations always been on bandwidth. You know, that, that was the biggest one that kind of stuck out to me. 
because two meters, of course, you can't run more than about 1,200, 2,400 baud because uh, you'd exceed the bandwidth that you're allowed on that band. Right. So uh, part of the reason we uh, decided to do this product on 70 centimeters is because we have uh, uh, a little more bandwidth uh, in the regulations to play with. Uh, down down on two meters, you're actually allowed to go up to about uh, – I don't have the reg in front of me, but it's, you know, 19 to KBOD. Um, and, of course, a BOD – uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, number of bits per second. Uh, with some more modern uh, modulation techniques, we can squeeze a few more bits in per baud, uh, you know, one and a half, uh, maybe two. Um, <clears throat> so it's the regulations actually read uh, a combination of baud rate and bandwidth and at 70 centimeters that works out to 56 kilobaud and 100 kilohertz and the with certain modulation techniques you can actually get north of 56k probably the mid uh 80k range and still stay in 50 kilohertz of bandwidth so uh, the bigger problem typically is that, that most packet and other digital modes done, uh, today, uh, are done on radios that were designed for voice communication and really aren't, uh, optimized for digital communication. So we're taking a different approach. And we're building a radio that's really designed for digital communication. Very quick transmitter key up time, turnaround time, um, and um, a, a selection of modulation techniques that will give us uh, varying uh, both uh, bits per second, uh, varying baud, and uh, varying ba- bandwidth. So, yes, uh, this radio uh, will do f- uh, 56K plus, um, and we've got the fourth member of our team, uh, uh, Dennis Rosenauer, who had uh, previously designed and built some 56K uh, units um, a decade or more ago, a couple of decades ago maybe, uh, AC7FT, uh, who uh, joined our, our team and um, pro- has proven 56K kilobaud, but at that time it required a lot of lash-up and separate components, uh, Typically, there were transverters involved and uh, in between the modem and the final amp and so on. And um, uh, you could make it work, and you could make it work uh, fairly reliably. But with the advances in in, um, technology we have and some of the expertise uh, in our group uh, between uh, the various team members, um, our ability to uh, provide those higher di- data rates is pretty wear- well assured. Yes, and uh, before we actually go any further, um, I was just making notes off of different stuff I was looking at on the web today, and in fact, I was in the process of throwing that list in the trash bin when Russ said something a while ago. But, uh, you know, uh, the the... A purpose-built digital radio is something we've needed for a long time. 
Uh, there's some that they tried to pass off as purpose built digital radios. Uh, I had a MFJ data radio and it really wasn't worth the crap. It was just a two meter radio with some tweaking on the audio stage to make the packet run better on it. You know, down here, I've, I've been doing digital since I got licensed. Most of our listeners know that. And I live about 40 miles from the guys that do all the digital stuff in this part of the world up in Plano, Texas. Uh, that's one of the reasons we haven't got our, uh, high speed multimedia project running over here yet, over in this county yet. And, uh, as I said before we started the show, I live probably about 25 miles from the K5 TIT repeater here in, uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, which is my understanding from listening to them guys. It was one of the first D star machines in the area. So digital's a thing I like, even on HF. Uh, we ran packet bulletin boards and stuff like that. And my father and I did. We were the, uh, we were the hubs for the HF packet network here in the DFW area for a while and all that good stuff. But, uh, speaking of D star, um, one of the things that, uh, is in the brochure is says, uh, D star digital data, uh, and DV with the AMBE card option. Now, or when we talk about uh, the AMBE cards, are we talking about the standard uh, ICOM cards, or are y'all going to have your own version of the uh, AMBE cards? Uh, we're doing our own board, and it's just a little daughter card that uh, actually sits on the uh, uh, on the CPU board. And, uh, just mates up with it nicely. Uh, there's a couple of reasons that we're doing that. Uh, one is, you know, uh, we want something that we can depend on for people going forward and, and be able to control the manufacturing on them. Uh, we also believe that, uh, our price will be, uh, a bit more competitive, uh, uh, for that add on, uh, than going, uh, for the card from ICOM. Um, and the other thing is, is we're going to use a newer version of the Ambi chip. Uh, D-Star runs on, on Ambi. Uh, there are a couple of standards beyond that, uh, Ambi 2, Ambi 2 Plus. And some of those have been adopted by other digital voice systems such as uh, DMR and APCO 25 phase two, um, and XDN, um, you know, the rest of the alphabet soup out there, uh, pretty much, uh, all modern, um, digital, uh, networks, uh, use the AMBI, uh, method for, uh, vocoding. Um, but, you know, some generations have used the, the newer chip. And so by making that chip available, which is ba- backwards compatible, excuse me, backwards compatible with, uh, the AMBI standard used in D-Star, uh, we can support the D-Star community. But, uh, one important point about this radio is not only is it purpose designed, but it's designed as a platform radio, uh, with an open architecture so other people can develop uh, their own applications and protocols and run on top of it. And by having a richer uh, selection of AMBI modes, we may see other uh, protocols uh, arriving um, in that same package um, by third parties or if there's sufficient interest perhaps uh, directly from us. 
the other thing that, that we gain in what we're doing, uh, because of the architecture without going into a lot of detail, um, part of the reason our, our little card can go cheaper is we don't have to put uh, quite as much on the daughter card. The uh, uh, For most of the models of the ICOM, the uh, ICOM has uh, a bunch of components on it, uh, in, including in some models the, the GMSK. Um, so, you know, we can bring that price down. The other thing is, is compared, say, to the USB-attached uh, AMBI devices that are out there, which have been a, a big boon to to the uh, community, we're going to be able to avoid a whole USB uh, interface in between, which adds complexity and and the opportunity for some additional problems in getting the encoding and decoding back that we'll be able to avoid by going directly to the processor. So uh, we think it'll give us a, a, a better solution at a lower cost. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, I can't remember which card it was. Uh, I think it was a UT-118 I had to purchase for my ICOM, uh, my, uh, ICOM 2200H. And that thing was about two, that thing was two bills, uh, not counting shipping. And, uh, you know, most amateur radio operators, they don't make sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. They're, uh, they're guys more like me that make 50000 or less. And it'd be nice to be able to get that kind of thing set up. But the, um, I, I assume this is primarily a digital radio, and digital voice is like a, an afterthought on the thing, something that's uh, probably not going to be – it's going to be secondary to the main purpose of the radio. Is that right? Well, again, it's a platform radio, and um, there are, is a fairly large uh, number of users out there that don't need digital voice. So – uh, why add another hundred dollars to the radio uh, if they're going to use it primarily for packet um, uh, or to run um, uh, some other digital protocol um, or to use it as a gateway or part of a repeater for a digital voice system where you don't need the ambi chip to provide the function um and then for those that need it, it needs to be be available. And uh, from the very earliest, earliest stages of the design, uh, we, we thought that that would be something that there would be sufficient interest in that we should uh, make it an option to the radio. Certainly one could use some other features. Uh, there's four USB ports. One could plug a, a USB um, uh ambi holder into that to get there and some other things but uh one of the things that uh, i like to avoid and, and and it seems to be very prevalent is the idea that um a digital latch-up needs to look like uh, uh several boxes uh, wrapped up in baling wire and 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 duct tape um i kind of like things all in one package and just attaching antennas and and uh, an input device uh, to it, and and so it'll give a nice, neat little package together that way. Well, I do understand the smallest, the smallest packet radio station I ever had was uh, an old beat up Kenwood radio that didn't have a didn't have a, a CTCSS card on it, and um, a PK eighty eight sitting on top of each other over in the corner, running as a digipeter or node or whatever. 
plug the computer in long enough to get them get them up and initialized and doing their things and then thing and then unplug the computer from <laughs> you know that kind of thing right uh, you know quite honestly i like you know i like small small packages too i've spent my fair share of time running cables plugging in cables making audio cables and all this other mess and and that kind of stuff where was i headed oh yes i know now uh yeah uh and the fact that uh the radio itself doesn't actually have to decode D star uh, voice uh, because it might just be passing it through when it's operating kind of like a repeater as a gateway or something like that, uh, which would be beneficial. But uh, I see that y'all are kind of targeting the prominent digital type stuff. And I, I probably will keep coming back to D rats because uh, I've known Dan for a while. I helped do a little testing on D rats and that kind of stuff. But uh, the fact that uh, we're talking Winlink, APRS, DRATS, um, that kind of stuff, uh, this really piques my interest, uh, this particular radio, because like I said, I'm, the di- I'm a digital guy. I would rather type it on a keyboard than uh, key up a microphone and talk. So um, is there going to be any issues getting this thing online? And we're going to get to the operating system in a few minutes because that keeps running through the back of my head. But Russ will tell you, and the listeners will tell you, that Richard rambles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you haven't touched on that because that's kind of the big reveal, and I wanted to ask him that question here pretty quick. Well, okay, just sit over in the corner and hush. Okay. Um, he knows I don't mean it. <laughs> Plus, I'm scared of him. Oh, yeah, right. But anyway, um, I mean, how are we going to get an advantage with the uh, Winlink and uh, APRS and stuff using this package? And I, I was kind of looking. It appears it's about the size of a paperback book, thicker, but about the same uh, height and length. And we probably answered that question already. I told you I had a short attention span. I mean, you don't have all the all the changing up the audio that you would have in a uh, radio that's designed for voice communications and that kind of stuff. Um, are there any advantages other than the everything in a single package situation uh, with this radio compared to some of the others? Well, I think so. Um, first of all, uh, since we have this tight integration between the CPU. And the radio itself, uh, with a, uh, I forget if it's one or ten megabit, uh, uh, interface between the two cards. I'm sure Brian will put it in the, the chat link there. Um, and, uh, because we don't have that having to go through, uh, something like, um, some, some serial buffers on, you know, uh, RS-232 type level or, or USB and so on. Um, we're going to improve our um, processor to uh, radio interface. And when you start getting into to higher data rates, um, one of the, the downsides of the non, I like your term, purpose-built radios is that... Um, the turnaround time between transmit and receive in some of those radios um, can stretch out uh, to tens or hundreds or uh, of milliseconds or even a second on some of the older equipment. Uh, so if 
if you're going 56,000 bits per second and it takes uh, 100 milliseconds to switch from transmit to receive, then you've lost 5,600 bits of data that you could have passed over the channel. Uh, so the radio, uh, when talking to a similarly capable radio, uh, at those rates, because it will be able to turn around so quickly, uh, we're talking single digit, uh, millisecond turnaround here. You're going to get a lot more throughput per, uh, baud rate or bit rate, um, on the channel. And, um, it also has the ability to, um, run different uh, speeds, and consequently, um, one station talking to the other can go through a series of speeds to find one that works for the particular conditions that exist. Now, you live down in Texas, and, and my only experience in Texas, other than flying into Dallas and Austin a couple of times, love the music scene in Austin, by the way, um, uh, was my my time at, at Lackland Air Force Patch in basic training, which is the hottest, driest summer for many, many years down there. But I understand you guys get something called humidity, and humidity sometimes twists radio waves. And so what might be a 56K circuit an hour ago might be a 28K circuit this hour. And so you want a radio that has the flexibility to adapt uh, either manually or automatically, depending on the, the software that's running, to the conditions that exist. So you're looking at even 9600 baud, at least eight times the throughput of a lot of the 1200 baud stuff that's deployed out there. And, um, you know, another, uh, do quick math in my head, I think it's seven times that rate, uh, if you're getting a 56k. Uh, throughput. So uh, we think the speed's big. We think that uh, also at those speeds, there's some real interesting things that can be done. Uh, and my and Brian will be giving a presentation on this in Atlanta later this month at the Digital Communications Conference on um, having a hailing channel uh, that the radios, because we have this tight CPU radio integration. Um, can uh, listen on one channel and request time to talk directly to another station and move them both off of the main uh, calling channel to pass their traffic. So you start getting uh, more aggregate throughput on a channel by starting to spread it out. You know, if you've ever worked HFDX and everybody climbs on top of each other, nobody gets through, uh, and it's even worse on, on digital modes like packet because you get uh, errors in the data and you have to retry and, and that kind of thing. But by separating, uh, uh, you know, the passing of that email or that file off to another uh, channel in the packet mode, um, you're going to, for a network, get a much higher aggregate. And there's a lot of other things I'm sure we'll get to during the presentation here. But just those types of concepts are really going to help us a lot. Well, I understand. I've sat, th- I've sat through some of those incredibly long transmit-receive uh, changeover cycles. Uh, uh, 
We were discussing earlier that I was running packet radio on Commodore VIC-20 computers and 64 computers and stuff like that. And back then, we were still using radios that had relays in them for the most part. And it seemed like it took forever for them to switch over. Uh, thank goodness the folks at uh, the uh, TNC, TNC companies that built the TNCs uh, installed uh, some weight parameters you could put in to, to not end up losing your data. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, it sounds like y'all are, are planning something basically along the lines of basic network theory in the case of amateur radio um, that uh, works out really well. Uh, the best analogy I can draw is a national traffic system. One of the things we do there, or I say we, I haven't worked NTS in a long time, but uh, one of the things we would do there in the same way with Aries is, uh, yes, if we had a huge amount of stuff that needed to go between two stations and nobody else on the frequency really needed it, we'd send them off to another frequency to increase uh, the information throughput on the main frequency. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I can really see that, and having them switch over quick is definitely an advantage because... Uh, a lot of the people that listen to our show have probably not, never run uh, any digital mode at all. And all you have to do is lose just the tiniest bit of that uh, that transmission, whether it's packet or one of the other modes, that just the tiniest bit, and then you've lost the whole thing, and then you start setting through retries and acknowledgments and changing conditions, make that uh, good, bad, or indifferent, and everything else. So... Uh, I'm going to shut up for a few minutes and let Russ talk because I know what he's after and, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I've been over here in the corner jumping up and down going, don't reveal the secret. Don't reveal the secret because I want to get to it. <laughs> but, uh, ho- hopefully when I ask the question that I'm about to ask, I actually get the answer that I'm looking for because otherwise I'm going to look like an idiot here. But, um, Santa OS. <laughs> no. We've been talking a lot about this, um, this new radio that you guys are putting out, the UDR56K. And, uh, there's something about it that makes it particularly interesting to listeners of our show. And astute listeners have probably already put all the pieces together and figured out what that thing is. But we've talked about lightweight MB chips, uh, with offloaded decoding capabilities. We've talked about CPU bus speeds. We've talked about USB ports. So obviously there's something a little bit special about this particular radio. Um, and despite the fact that it is in fact a ham radio that operates on 70, 70 centimeters and has, you know, an antenna port and a microphone port and a LCD display and all that other stuff, it also has an alter ego. And, uh, that alter ego is the thing that makes this thing really, really cool, especially to, uh, LHS listeners. Uh, so, so what is it about this radio? What is, what is this radio's alter ego? Uh, that makes it different from anything else out there. Oh, you mean that it runs CPM? Well, that and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it has a full up, um, uh, Linux server built in. So because of that, there is a variety of great, uh, open source software out there. Uh, that we can, uh, build and execute right inside the radio. And the, uh, capability uh, has been proven, um, 
the the radios uh, in our current uh, stage, and I, I believe at production, are running a uh, Debian uh, kernel uh, and and set of tools and files. Um, right now, it's uh, you know a flip between uh, Squeeze and and Wheezy. Um, so. For those people that, uh, um, like Linux, which I, I would imagine your listening audience does, um, and if they don't, they better soon. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> I don't care uh, if they like it or not. Y'all send money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you're going to be able to do some really cool stuff. So I have uh, one of the processor boards sitting here on my desk, actually running a D star gateway. Um, uh, the one I have is uh, not currently using our radio stage, but you, the great thing about, uh, um, uh, modular hardware is you can run some things uh, um, separately and do software development uh, with just having a processor board handy. Uh, it uh, runs a full a D-Star gateway and D-Star repeater controller uh, on the internal processor. Now that processor is an ARM processor. It runs uh, faster uh, clock rate than the Raspberry Pi, which a few people have become acquainted with. Um, it um, has uh, a lot of integrated peripheral support in that processor. Uh, but what that means is, as I was going along, I was sitting here one day, well, I'd like to hook a GPS up to this, and I have a... Uh, a, a GPS with a USB port and, or cord on it, and the radio actually has four USB uh, ports on a hub. And so I plugged it into one of them, and I went apt-get install GPRSD, and lo and behold, it pulled it down off the Internet, installed it, and I had uh, all of the features of GPRSD in just a few minutes. Um like I say, uh, I've got a gateway running on it. We've got uh, some programs like uh, AX uh, RDPPD. I forget the total acronym, but it acts as a, a, an APRS gateway and and a bunch of other things like that. We've got uh, uh, Linux uh, version of RMS gateway running on it, and we've been in. Uh, a great communication with the people behind Winlink uh, on that. Um, applications, uh, you know, it's a very familiar and comfortable environment for people that work on Linux. On the other hand, we know that there's a lot of people, uh, yeah, if you're on the chat room, Brian's listing off some of the ones that have, have, have been put up, disasters uh, run on it. Um, the uh some of the user community will not be that interested at that level so um we have a web server in there and the control and setup of the radio can all be done over uh web pages and uh including changing frequency and having presets and just select them off of a menu for 
for a particular mode or a particular channel and station you want to talk to. So people with their smartphones and their tablets and their computers and uh, perhaps even over the radio control can control the radio uh, without having to know the command line um, or having to use a, a GUI, which I don't really understand. I, I do most cool things with the command line because the other stuff just gets in the way. But yes, uh, very comfortable environment that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I gotta tell you, I can't wait to be able to, uh, surf using my web browser to my ham radio. But aside from that, um, I do, a couple of questions came up, uh, for me while you were talking. Um, the first one is what, what sort of video interface does the radio have so that you can actually see what you're doing on the computer side? Uh, the, the radio itself does not have a, 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 a video output port on it. Um, we had the option to do that. Uh, you know, Ethernet is very fast and people have devices, uh, or even Wi-Fi, um, have devices that have much nicer displays on it. And so either through, um, X Windows, VNC or the web, that's your graphical interface into the radio. Okay. So you do everything via, um, a network connection and, um, I assume, you know, you can do everything via like an SSH session. Does it support encryption? Can you do SSH? Yes. All right. Excellent. So it's just like a regular Debian machine underneath a full kernel, all that good stuff. So my next question was, are you familiar with the Codec 2 project? I am. All right. Do you, uh, folks have any, uh, designs on working with, uh, Dave? And the various folks over who are developing Codec 2 uh, and integrating their products, should it come to fruition and become a viable uh, voice codec for digital transmission via amateur radio? We would love to see Codec 2 uh, available on the radio. And actually, David Rowe and Bruce Perrins spent quite a, m- a bit of time with us in Dayton. Um, and we had met Bruce before, uh, and, uh, but it was our first opportunity to meet David, a great guy. Um, uh, I'm in personal communication with some of the people doing the actual, uh, work on, um, like the GMSK modem that you might use on VHF and so on. Um, Christoph Bonn, um, in Belgium, um, and a few others. Um, we're focused on getting the radio out and making sure it's a good high quality thing. And, uh, the things that are identified on the card are things that, um, we will deliver. There's a lot of other people that are working behind the scenes to bring a richness of applications to it. Uh, Codec 2 is an, an interesting thing. Um, one of the things that you really want to do, uh, and I don't know why they named it Codec 2 because it's a vocoder and they're different, but, uh, Codec 2, um, uh, in its current implementation is using floating point, uh, which requires a, um, a computing capacity, uh, that doesn't lend itself as well to low power, uh, environments like you might have in a radio. 
but by a conversion to fixed point uh, arithmetic, it may be able to run natively um, on the processor. We always have the option of, of uh, you know, putting a daughter card in that supported um, another vocoder. Um, and so one could imagine like, uh, uh, an application specific, uh, DSP processor, uh, handling that vocoder and plugging it into, oh, we've got a slot for putting those kinds of things in. So, uh, we're real hopeful for Codec 2. I think Codec 2, um, actually will get a lot of, of uh, activity, uh, on the HF bands. Uh, D star's starting to arrive down there. Uh, but they've got a bit of a green field, uh, as to how they handle things, which kind of brings up the other side, uh, of, of what, uh, your partner in crime was talking about there a little earlier is this lost bit thing. Uh, for example, in D-Star, you have error correction for the voice, but not the data. Um, you know, if, if you're working in an environment where you have some bits to spare, you can put error correction in, um, and improve those throughputs. And so as we get to these very low data rate codecs, uh, and vocoders, and even on the data rates, uh, for, for other protocols, uh, uh, one at the, uh, lower levels could start adding some, uh, um, capability to recover from those uh, those bit losses and and cut down on things like retries and so on. So, uh, yes, uh, I, I detoured there a little bit, but uh, yes, we're very interested in Codec Two, and we do communicate with the people over there. Well, see, that's the deal. Russ may not catch it, but I'm kind of big on error correction. I'm the guy that would sit there for hours running running Amtor because conditions would be bad and it. it have to keep doing the retries to finally get the stuff through three characters at a time. I'm sorry, Russ, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm glad to have you butt in with, like, actual information. That's excellent. So if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about the radio from a radio perspective for a moment. Do you guys have uh, the engineering done? Do you know what it's going to like? Did you build it from the ground up? Is it based on something else? I mean, I don't know how much of this you can actually tell us, but... Uh, as far as the radio itself, I mean, uh, what, what can you let us know about how it's going to be configured from a hardware perspective? Oh, certainly. Um, we'll be putting out an engineering update uh, a little later. Uh, I'm going to say fourth quarter. Uh, we may actually uh, put it out uh, a little before that, uh, which means the end of this month, but don't hold me to it. Um, and, and Brian's got to write it, so I can't commit for him. Um, basically, um, the radio portion of the device is built up uh, using some modern chips for the RF generation and uh, frequency synthesis and so on. And that feeds a final amp to get us up to the 25 watts, which also will be uh, the power will be able to be controlled under software. So you can vary the power control. And there's some real interesting things maybe we can talk about if we get time for it. Uh, 
the chip, uh, the, the, this was part of the engineering redo that, that, uh, we decided to do, uh, to get some better performance out of the radio actually uses the, uh, gold standard for modulating. Um, it has separate I and Q, uh, modulation points, uh, going into, uh, the transmitter chain, um, which means if you're really smart, unlike me, and know how to do the uh, uh, the algorithms for it, uh, we'll actually be able to uh, come fully loaded with uh, a variety of modulation techniques. Uh, fortunately, Dennis on our team is very knowledgeable in this area, and so uh, and it would be open to additional ones in the future. So. Um, a lot of flexibility there. Um, actually, the parts count is uh, quite modest. Uh, you have uh, the interface chips to go back over to the processor board. You've got uh, the core radio chip. We've got an FPGA in there to handle some certain conditions. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, after the radio chip, you... The radio chip can go a much uh, wider spectrum than the band that we're tar- targeting. So you have some some uh, conditioning circuitry to go to the final amp uh, and on the receive chain as well. Uh, and then you have a brick to take it up and power. So, um, But we'll give some more details on that as we go forward. Uh, we don't believe that you take off the... F- take, um, you know, standard parts and paint them black so nobody knows what what's inside of it, you'd be able to look at them and say, oh, that's such and such part. So, uh, again, this is a platform radio. It's an open architecture. We want people uh, to have the opportunity, should they choose, to do their own thing. I do have one more question before I hand it back to Richard. Um, will this be set up or will you be able to install software and maybe write software that has, say, direct access to the audio channels coming off the radio so that you could do something similar to a web SDR setup where someone could surf to the radio and change the frequency and listen to whatever the radio is listening to, something along those lines? Uh, I'm going to defer that one, uh, partially because we haven't totally de- determined what's going to be um, in the first release um, are other than the things you see on the spec card are things that, that we're committed to doing. Um, uh, our earlier design didn't have the opportunity to do some of those things. Actually, in VHF, UHF, it's not as interesting as if you were on HF. Uh, but we certainly could look at some, um, opportunities in there. Our, our control API and, and data APIs are going to be fully open for people to play with. So, uh, while I'm giving you a between the political conventions answer, uh, it's, uh, not because we're trying to hide anything. It's just we haven't settled what we're 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 going to have done in in time for the first release well that's all right since the radio technically doesn't exist yet i guess you're perfectly entitled to make up an answer um (laughs) so um my my last question is going to be do you want to tell us anything about this radio that we forgot to ask 
But before I ask you the question about all the stuff we forgot to ask, is there anything we forgot to ask, Richard? Oh, no, I was waiting to hear all the stuff that we we have not been uh, wise enough in our infinite amount of radio knowledge to ask yet because there's stuff that he, he wants to tell us that we haven't asked the right questions yet. I can tell because I'm psychic about these things. All righty. Well, <laughs> sure, I'll miss some of those questions. And if somebody sees something on the chat channel that I don't see, um, I'm actually blind in my left eye, so I put that on my my left side. So um, uh, bring them up. But uh, there's a few things. There's there's a few things that are really hot out there right now uh, in the MCOM area. Uh, there's a lot of talk around high speed multimedia mesh networks and 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 things like that there's there's a lot of things that when you have a platform radio like this um some make sense to do on the radio channel we're putting but some of them make sense to do and have this part of the ecosystem so let's take meshing for an example uh some mesh protocols are very chatty because they're assuming that you're on a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 megabit radio channel, that's just going to swamp a 56K or a 9.6K channel. But there is really good reason to have self-healing networks. So you've got a collection of, of, of nodes sitting out across some geography uh, and the disaster comes, whatever it is. And the most direct path to the other end is no longer there for lack of power or the antenna fell over or got blown away or something like that. Um, you don't want the, the volunteers that are helping with the communications. Remember now, this thing plugs on an Ethernet, so you can put computers, like, say, in an emergency operations center and let people be generating and receiving the traffic and then stuffing the radio. Um, you don't want them to have to figure out how to reroute that traffic. If you, uh, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, because of the VIC-20 days, you know, we used to have things like NetROM and stuff. I used to send NetROM over a thousand mile multi hop and getting, you know, effective baud rates of, of, of 50 bits with TCP IP. Um, routing should self heal and go through another path. Well, if you're not in an environment like a bunch of people driving around a racetrack and trying to talk to different nodes continuously, you don't need a lot of chat for that. You just need to know your topology and your alternate paths. So, um, uh, a lighter weight from a, a, a chattiness on channel point of view. Uh, mesh protocol makes a lot of sense. Um, another thing that makes a lot of sense is if you're um, one of the things you run into, and there's some great papers on this uh, for battleground communication. If you do have a dynamic field network, um, 
it goes back to the problem of how many people can you have on a channel and, and, and that kind of thing. And there is actually an FCC regulation that says you should use the minimum power necessary for the communication. Well, if you have radios with smart programs running in them, and I'm not promising all of these things, but these are just some of the things that the platform has the opportunity to do. Uh, you can envision radios that bring their power down to the minimum necessary for the communication. And what that does, it cuts down on overbleed. So you can reuse that channel of, you know, a mile or two down the road if they happen to be really close or kick up if they've got a long path to go through. And with, you know, adjustable data rates and so on, then, then you can optimize that over time. And that's all facilitated because you have a computer inside the radio that allows people to write these kinds of applications. The flip side of that is, so we've got a few digital communication protocols out there, whether they're voice or data or a combination of the two. And putting politics aside, there are reasons in certain situations when you'd want to be able to talk across those. So let's say you wanted to talk TCP IP over AX25. Well, DSTAR also has an Ethernet protocol, which you can run TCP IP on top of. Uh, but they can't talk to each other on the RF channel because they're, they're uh, uh, level one and level two protocols and even probably level three are different. And so now you've got a, a radio or a set of radios that um, you've got an Ethernet on the back end of it or you've got a USB port and you can start bridging those technologies. On the voice side, you've got an Ambi chip so you can go between raw audio, analog, uh, to digital. Uh, you can uh, convert transport protocols, um, uh, change vocoders, uh, you know, all of these would require different configurations. But the radio as a platform is uh, either on radio or in combination with other radios or computers capable of supporting those kinds of applications. Uh, so back to the meshing thing, HSMM makes a lot of sense if you've got good density and short geographies to cover. Well, what does it use? It typically uses Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi plugs into USB. So you could be running something like HSMM on that side and doing the long haul to the next county on 440 and no, you're not going to get the high-speed multimedia because we're neither high-speed or multimedia. But if you got traffic to pass between the two areas, you can do it with this sitting in the middle. So there's a lot of things out there that that you know the the mind can wander and the uh, imagination can wander, and there's some really smart guys out there, particularly in the Unix community. Uh, that can start bringing these things to a platform. We see ourselves having multiple markets that we, we service. One is the folks that just want something that drops in, uh, maybe in an e-com situation where they just want something to drop in and works. This thing has no dials, knobs, switches, squelch settings, or anything you got to play with on the radio. It's all done through a nice 
graphical uh, web interface or or uh, application specific like something that might run on your um, iPhone or your Android phone or something like that to control the radio. Um, but you know because of that environment, you know they want something prepackaged with some applications on it. Then we have a large community that wants to extend the art and experiment and do new things like Codec 2, um, and they've needed a platform to do it on. And so we're providing that platform. We believe that we're able to build this radio because of the efforts of a lot of people in the open source community that have made their work available to us, you know, this is a a physical device in a business that we're going to build and make some margin on. But in turn, we want it to be open so that people can take this, this platform and build new things kind of, Brian likes to say it puts the amateur back in amateur radio or it puts the hacker back in Linux, the good kind of hacker. We really, really just want to see that community have something that works reliably for them to bring out these new ideas and, 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 uh, platforms. So that's, that in a nutshell is kind of it. Out of that probably comes a thousand other questions, but we can revisit it on another podcast if we run out of time today. <laughs> <laughs> well, we ran out of time long ago, and I have two things to say about that. First is, uh, hacker is the good form of hacker, cracker is the bad form, and secondly, my head exploded five minutes ago. So, Richard, would you like to uh, finish this off? He called me a cracker again. <laughs> Uh, he's a bigot. (laughs) Hey, hey. (laughs) Why don't you go sulk in a corner? I can't believe (laughs) you you told me to talk. No, I did tell you to talk, but uh, actually this, this looks like it's going to be a very, um, um, advantageous piece of equipment. Something that, uh, uh, has definitely been needed for some time. You know, um, I, I was sitting here thinking about it, you know, where MCOM's concerned, you take this thing, put it up on top of a building somewhere, run 12 volts to it, and plug it into an antenna on a tripod. And, uh, if you have some way to get a signal, a wireless signal to it, uh, you can be 100 feet, 200 feet with beam antennas even further away from it and be able to, uh, get it up and going and operating and doing what it needs to do and everything else. And my head is just swimming with things that you could probably do with a radio like this. Plus the fact, single-banded 440 radios are getting really hard to come by nowadays. Well, like I said, my head exploded a long time ago, which is oh. probably probably the sign that the podcast is over. I'm so. listening. I <laughs> just um, I'm, I'm liking it more and more. I was, I'm, was well, checking it out. I have not heard about this, uh, mostly because I don't get out much, but. You know, I'm sitting around here trying to figure out how we're going to cover uh, this county without even a repeater. And, um, you know, my head is swimming over all the possible things that can be done with this particular piece of hardware. And uh, I'll be looking forward to its debut, uh, its final uh, first issue, as it were, and uh, see how it comes out. The fact that you can get on just about any computer with a browser and, and get into the thing and uh, do what you need to do is a big plus where I'm concerned. 
Yeah, I, I mean the I think the possibilities for this particular radio, especially with its direct computer versus radio chip integration, is is pretty much unbelievable. And I have a feeling that once this thing's come once this thing comes out, the the articles that are going to pop up in QST magazine about all the things that are being done with this thing are are just going to take us well into the future. Uh, oh, it'll I'm, be like everything else, ARRL. Uh, people be using it 10 years before they have any articles in QSD about it. Well, no, I'm sure they will, but I, I can just see there are so, so many possibilities with the fact that the whole thing is integrated into one package that we have no idea where this is going to go, but some very smart people are going to take it in ways we haven't seen yet, and uh, we're all going to have our minds blown, I'm sure of it. So... Uh, I mean, we've gone way, you know, this is, this is how this podcast usually runs. We've gone way over as we usually do, but that's okay because I think the information we've gathered from John is just amazing. And I only had a few minutes to talk to you at, uh, at Hamvention. So we didn't get nearly into any kind of depth that we've talked about tonight. So this is great for me. And I'm sure it's great for all the people who are listening as well. Um, I know we've got. More people in the online stream than we've ever had. Uh, we haven't heard much from the chat room, which is kind of too bad, but I think no, we got, they, get, they get quiet when they're listening. That's true. And I think we've gotten all the information out that we can possibly get out in this episode. If there's more stuff that gets generated and feedback from this episode, uh, we'd love to have you back, John. But I think for tonight, we're going to call this one good. So, uh, I tell you what, if there's, uh, any kind of email address or information you want to give out about Northwest Digital Radio where people can find the information, uh, you know, information about pre-release dates, pre-sale dates, stuff like that. Uh, go ahead and tell them about that, uh, who to contact if they got questions, and uh, then we'll wrap this thing up. Sounds good, Russ. Um, there is a website, nwdigitalradio.com. Uh, that, uh, that is the company website. And, uh, from there, there is, uh, contact information. And you can also register on there. And we won't be spamming you or selling your information. Uh, but if you're on there, we will let you know when we're ready to take pre-orders. And there'll probably be a little discount for those folks. Um, and my personal blog is kilo7victorecho.org. I don't put near enough posts in there, but, uh, it's a good place to come in. And, uh, I'd love to come back sometime if, uh, if you find there's some interest in what, uh, what we've shared tonight. I may have, uh, uh waxed long and, uh, I apologize for that if, if so. Uh, but I had a great time. It was great meeting you guys, uh, here on the podcast. This is K7VE from Edmonds, Washington, signing clear. Well, you don't have to go just yet because I have one more question for you. Is there any way, I mean, cause I know your boss is in the chat room, K7UDE or UDR. Um, so is there any way you could do something really cool? Like if somebody mentions Linux in the Hamshack and they heard about Northwest Digital Radio on there that they could get like a, little discount like a ten dollar discount or something when they pre-order the radio or something uh i'll let brian answer that uh but uh, i'm sure we can come up with something all right cool if you guys come up with something like that we'd love to publish it and we'd love to if you have a banner or something where we can advertise your uh your 
your product on our website, we would be happy to do that because I really think this is going to be uh, the future of the sort of open amateur radio technology where you have the computer and the radio integrated and the ability to do software encoding and decoding, the ability to use open source codecs, uh, as well as uh, the Ambivo coder and other stuff like that. I, I really think this is the way forward, and I'm really glad you uh, approached me at Hamvention and talked to me about your product because I, I think uh, a lot of people are going to be interested in this thing. So with that, I really appreciate you coming by tonight, uh, spending some time with us, talking about Northwest Digital Radio and the UDR and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think we're going to have to go ahead and wrap it up and uh, – I'm going to go ahead and let Richard uh, sort of start taking us out here because that's kind of the thing he does. So go ahead, Richard. Uh, I just wanted to tell him before he leaves, next time he shows up on the show and they say, what's there to do in Seattle? You tell them that you got ferries, you got a space needle, uh, you occasionally can see people on the roof of one of the buildings filming, filming Gray's Anatomy. You got a house that's got the, a stain that used to be Kirk Cobain. You got Mount Rainier. You got all kinds of wonderful. Oh yeah. I almost forgot the most important one. There's, there's the, the, the grave of, uh, Master Bruce Lee. All right. So with that, everybody, we're done for the night. Well, it's, it's all done. Y'all go over and check out Northwest Digital Radio. Say hello to the folks over there. They will treat you nice. Check it all out. If you want to get a hold of me, 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 and me more, um, send an email to kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com or catch up with me on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, whatever. Uh, all these wonderful, fantastic, super trendy things that are going on. So with that, let's toss it over to Russ because he's always got more information than I do. Well, something like that. Anyway, if you want to contact me, you can find me as J.R. Woodman on most of the popular social networks out there. I'm also K5TUX at 73s.org. If you want to get in touch with us, go to lhspodcast.info. You can leave some feedback at the website. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info. You can even leave us voicemail at 1-909-547-7469. That's 909 909- LHS show. It's easy. Leave us some feedback and, uh, we'll play your feedback on the air and we'll even respond to it unless you tell us not to, in which case we won't. So that's the way we do things around here. Anyway, you can uh, also leave us a donation if you'd like. You can subscribe. You can do all kinds of cool things. Uh, we may even give out some free swag. Make sure to sign up for the mailing list. Download the Black Sparrow Media mobile app. Uh, for iTunes or from iTunes for Apple or from the Android market for your Android mobile device. Uh, that's free for you to do. So that's it for me from between the peaks up here in the fine forest of north central Arkansas. I'm going to send it back down to the Trinity River Basin in northeast Texas where Richard is going to fill out this episode with a few words of wisdom. No, I'm just going to continue their lessons in Spanish. Y'all remember the phrase, el chupacabra means the cup of coffee in Spanish. We'll see y'all next time.
have to be mentally deficient to do this job, but it sure helps. <laughs>